Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And today, you are listening to our recap and discussion of Homeland, book one in the Dark Elf trilogy by R.A. Salvatore. You know what, Chad? Sometimes it's just nice to see the good guys being good guys. Yup. That was so good. It was so good. It was exactly what I needed. It's fall. It's wintertime. It's the holiday season. And I wanted something. I wanted popcorn. I wanted coziness. And you know, It's the peanut butter jelly sandwich of fantasy novels. That's such a good way of putting it. Crust the, removed. The food <laughs> metaphors on this podcast will <laughs> never stop. I don't even think they about just, it. <laughs> But um wow yeah this was really excellent um it's it was just it was light but it was it was heavy hitting though you know what i mean it was there was a lot in here it it felt dense without being slow it was all the right pieces assembled into something that just there was never a dull moment there was never a moment in homeland where i was like uh why am i reading this i don't care about these characters and like we said in the the monday morning episode that we did a couple days ago it's not as complicated as I thought it was going to be going into it because like I read the back cover and it seemed like a lot of political machinations going on and that's really happening in the background the the story is really centering around Dritzt and his whole moral dilemma which we're going to get into after the recap here there's definitely a political system and he takes the time necessary to lay out the world and the inner machinations of their hierarchy within Menzo Baranzan the drow city that he grows up in but like that is just a, uh, the, the cushion for the vehicle of the story that you're writing on. It is not even kind of the main <laughs> part of it, you know? Right. Sorry, I got caught up in your... Uh... <laughs> I tried to go not food. I was going to say the au sauce that you did, and I was like, no, Chad, no I think food. you just got to stick to food, man. You're so good with should. food. The cushion for the vehicle. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite the vehicle, you know? That'd be right. too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Oh, my God, I love you. Uh, I'm so glad that I'm reading these, though. I mean, like, I, obviously, I love fantasy that's been coming out in the last few years. Um, and I'm really excited for a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out soon. But it's just so nice to dip over into like early 90s, like late 80s, early 90s fantasy. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like the no. Dark Elf trilogy. I call it basic fantasy. But by saying that, I don't mean anything derogatory. I mean, it's not like the Chuck E. Cheese of fantasy novels. Like not at all. There's like dark no. heart parts. There's emotional parts. There's real themes. It's just, it's just classic. Mm -hmm. I don't even know any other way to describe it. It's just very classic. Well, and Salvatore's writing is so he really does write like a like a dungeon master describing. Yeah. He's just like and then he twirled around his foe with his scimitars shining in the light of the glowing purple rocks and the Ritz skitters a lot. He skitters and he's he's always rolling and he's always just like ah he's always ready to go he's always unsheathing his scimitars and the flick of and, his wrist both blades are in his hands. Both blades are in his hands. <laughs> Right before the recap, I just want to get into this real quick. I'm really glad that I read the Icewind Dale trilogy first because this is an origin story. This is, you know, the knowledge that I have of the way that Drist is being treated on the surface world in Icewind Dale. Now I'm kind of like looking at both of those and it's really cool to see the society that he grew up in and the reason that not only the reason that he feels the way he does about his homeland, <laughs> no. <laughs> but the reason the reason that the surface dwellers have all this animosity towards the drow as well it puts a lot in perspective for sure 
definitely does because you kind of think in some of those first books i read it at the same order i read the icewind dale trilogy crystal shard halflings gem streams of silver and then i read homeland legacy sojourn i think it's exile sojourn oh you're right homeland exile sojourn thank you you kind of think man all the surface dwellers are like super racist and while yes that is true that's a very like and I can't believe this sentence is about to come through my list, but very well-founded racism. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, like, they are the worst yeah, race. The like they, drought, you know, they, yeah. They're awful. But I want to get into that a little bit, too, after the recap, because I have questions about the drow. I have questions. There's, you know, and that's one of the cool things about Salvatore is, yes, this is popcorn fantasy. Sure, if you really want to call it that. But there's some deeper stuff going on here, for sure. Certainly. And I, and I really want to talk about it. So let's just get straight into the recap here. I am so excited. Let's do it. The book begins in the underground city of Menzo Berenzan. We follow House Duerden, tenth of the Drow houses, as they launch an assault upon House Devere, a rival house ranked ninth in the ever-evolving station of the Underdark. While the battle rages, Dritzt is born. His mother is Malice, the Duerden matron mother, and his father, consort, Duerden weapon master, and sometimes patron, Zaknafane. As the third son, drow culture demands that Drist be sacrificed to their goddess Loth, the Spider Queen. However, the death of his older brother and the first son, Nalfine, incidentally at the treacherous hand of the second son, Dinan, in the battle against House Devere, makes him the second son and spares his life. Meanwhile, as part of House Duerden's elimination plan, the wizard Alten Devere is attacked by Gelrus Hunet also known as the Faceless One, one of the masters at Sorcier, the school for mages in Menzo Berenzan. Alton, the last of House Devere, is saved by Mashaj Hunet, the younger brother of Gelrus, and an apprentice at Sorcier, who kills Gelrus. Massage threatens to kill Alton, but the now houseless mage makes a bargain with Massage. In return for his life, Alton will assume the Faceless One's identity and mentor Massage, as well as ease the apprentice's way through his magical studies at Sorcier. To ensure that the illusion is complete, Massage scars Alton's face with acid, and the new Faceless One remains at Sorcier, where he begins to plan his revenge on the house that had massacred his own. Being a male in the matriarchal drow society, Dritz Doerden suffers considerable abuse at the hands of his family, particularly his eldest sister, Brisa in his first 16 years of life. His first 10 years are spent in the care of his sister, Vierna. As a young drow, Dritz displays amazing ability and reflexes. As a result, Zaknafane is able to persuade Malice that Dritz should become a warrior instead of replacing Nalfine as the house wizard. Dritz begins training with weapons under Zaknafane's tutelage, learning the skills that will lead him to become one of the most formidable swordsmen in the Underdark. At 20 years old, Dritzt attends Mele Magthir, Menzo Berenzan's warrior academy, where he excels in his studies despite his trepidation at absorbing the drow brainwashing so prevalent in his lessons. He excels in all his fighting bouts, but when it comes time for him to graduate, he disgraces himself by not taking part in the ritual. He refuses the advances of two high priestesses, one of them his sister, Vierna, and condemns Loth. Vierna, Angered by Dritz's defiance, takes Dritz to a Drider lair to show him what happens to those who defy the Spider Queen. She plans to leave him for dead, 
but Drist's mother interferes and saves Drist from certain death by the Driders. She threatens to turn Drist into one of the hideous creatures if she hears of any more defiance from him. Drist graduates with honors, even though he did not participate in the ceremony. After his graduation, Drist begins patrolling the Underdark with his assigned patrol group. He witnesses firsthand the cruelty of his race as the drow conduct a surface raid in which Drist saves the life of a child of the most bitter enemy of the drow, the surface elves, by hiding her body underneath the corpse of her murdered mother. Zacnafane, having similar morals to Drist, believes Drist killed the child, but Loth knows he allowed the child to survive, which causes House Duerden to fall out of the Spider Queen's favor. Zacnafane, Fearing that Dritzt had succumbed to the evil ways of the drow, fights with Dritzt, until Dritzt admits what really happened on the surface. Upon hearing Dritzt's account, Zacnafane reveals that Dritzt is indeed his child. They plan to escape House Duerden and live in the caverns of the Underdark. Unfortunately, Matron Malice and her daughters, in a bid to find out why Duerden was no longer in Lost's favor, are watching. Malice, under pressure to destroy the threat of House Hunnet, and with one of her sons being openly insubordinate, hatches a plan. Dritz sets off to work through his inner turmoil in the more peaceful tunnels of the Underdark. Learning that Dritz had journeyed from his house alone, Massage attempts to kill him by ordering Guinevar, his panther companion, to find and kill the young warrior. Unbeknownst to Massage or the magical panther, Dritz's inner thoughts had distracted him to his dangerous surroundings, allowing him to be ensnared by a cave fisher. When Guinevar finds Dritz near death, her concern for his safety overcomes Massage's orders and she helps him slay the cave fisher. Dritz then helps Guinevar understand that she is her own master and can overcome the commands given to her by Massage. The panther leads Dritz to Massage, who with the assistance of Alton, tries to kill the young Duerden. The ensuing battle results in both of the mages' deaths. After the fight, Drist makes a vow to never kill another drow again, and he takes possession of the magical statuette used to summon Guinevar before returning to Menzo Berenzon. Malice knows the only way to rectify this situation is to offer Drist as a sacrifice to Loth. Malice informs Zacnafane of the plan to sacrifice her son, but Zacnafane offers himself in Drist's stead. This was Malice's intention all along. She believes that once Zacnafane is dead, Dritz would begin behaving like a proper drow noble and take the position of weapons master with pride. When Dritz learns of his father's demise, he confronts Matron Malice. She tells him that Zacnafane was sacrificed to Luth in order to regain the Spider Queen's favor and that Dritz will become House Dewarden's new weapon master. Dritz refuses outright and using one of Zacnafane's weapons, an exploding ball of light, escapes into the Underdark. <laughs> okay, I gotta start off by saying, <clears throat> I just wanna like kind of set the scene a little bit for anyone who has not read these books uh, by talking about Menzo Baranzan, Menzo sure. Baranzan and the system of how it rules. So this town, the city is, you know, in the Underdark, so the world is riddled with hundreds of thousands of miles of caves going hundreds, if not thousands of miles deep into the core of this planet. And this city is in a ginormous cavern in the Underdark, and all of the buildings are constructed out of mostly natural, some made. 
stalactites and stalagmites. And each a compound is a house that is ruled by the matriarch- matriarchal mother of the house, and they're all ranked. The top 10 houses are invited to be members of the ruling council of I think Mendoza it's the top Baranzan. eight. Oh, is it the top eight? Yeah. Okay, thank you. So the top eight are on the ruling council of Menzo Baranza, and thus those are very coveted positions. And the way that the system works, it's like kind of lauded and, and held to high esteem if one house can take out another house. But if they leave any evidence pointing back to them being the attacker, even if everyone knows like it was totally them, but no one can actually point the finger at them and be like, I was there, I saw it, then they get away and everyone just kind of goes, good on ya, house. Yeah, see, I actually, that's so funny that you brought that up because I've made a note of this and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, I thought it was really interesting that as a house, you're basically allowed to destroy another house as long as nobody sees you do it. But it also, it seemed kind of weird because House Stewarden at the beginning of the book is is walking through like what you could basically call the center of town. It's like everyone knows what they're going to go do. Yeah, they don't know. They might not know like literally exactly what house they're going to go attack, but it's like, okay, so House Devere fell this night, this date, you know, and we all saw House Stewart and like traipsing through with an army. Like, I mean, so is it more nuanced than that? You know what I mean? It's basically if you leave any members of the household alive who can be like, it's like a who has right to point the finger and the family (laughs) member has right, which is why it's such a big deal that they leave that one wizard alive who scars his face and everything. Totally. Because he could actually point the finger. And when that happens, the other eight houses all get together and take out that city, um, which in in a mighty display of magical awesomeness. Okay, cool. That all that all makes sense. I was just like, it's like, why are they? They did it so publicly. Like you know everyone I mean? knows <laughs> they did it. Yeah, like I mean, maybe some of the other houses don't know, but there seemed to be sort of like common folk around. You know, yeah, which, like house thirtieth house or whatever. You know, yeah, there's like fifty something of them or, yeah. or something like that. But the the, the top eight to uh, to fifteen or whatever seemed to count the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another question here. This is cool. Yeah. Like, I've got the questions for you this time. I know. This and is you great. know what you're talking about. <laughs> I do. I've read these books many times. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that even though Dritz absolutely hates the way the drow behave, um, he wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for how utterly ruthless they all are. Um, so because Dinan kills his brother right before Dritz is going to be sacrificed. Because right. he wanted so, to be weapon master, is that right? Well, did you catch the 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 irony there that Dritz oh, hates? Yeah. I'm not saying it's you know it's like a now Dritz shouldn't hate the way it all is, but it's just it was interesting that like do you think that Salvatore did that on purpose? Like, do you think that he made it so that Dritz wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for this society that he hates so much? Because if he 100- did that on purpose, that is. That's really good. That's really it's one hundred percent on purpose. And yeah. there's even like a, um, you know, I don't, I think they do it in these books, but every few chapters you get that little italicized page and a half that's like Dritz's diary, his inner thoughts. Do they do it in this book? Yeah, it's like a little first person snippet. Yeah, where he's talking about like what he's struggling with, what's on his mind, and in the later books he kind of has a like crisis of uh, like who he is because he very much acknowledges that like the system that created him and made him who he is like the greatest swordsman and you know all of, capable of so much is also the thing that he hates so much so it's like this weird like 
I am a product of this thing that I hate, but I wouldn't be who I am without it sort of conflict. And then it's a major like conflict of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Identity for him later on in the, in the books. Wow. That's yeah, really interesting. Notice. That's a really good notice. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um... And it's like, it's crazy. The drow are so blessed in their innate abilities. Right. Cause in order to be a drow yeah. or if you're a drow or a, I think it's like a, if you're high up in the drow, you're like a, a nobleman, which Dritz certainly is, then you're born with the innate ability of fairy fire, which you can just like snap your fingers and outline something or anyone uh, yeah. in just like this flame that doesn't hurt anybody, but you know, it can mark them. Yeah. And they also, they can drop like pools of darkness. Yeah. Globe of darkness, impenetrable inky blackness, you know, <laughs> which is so cool. And then they can also levitate. Yeah. They can float, they can float around. Yeah. Which is uh really cool. There's a bunch of battle scenes later on where, you know, the drow, they use this little hand crossbow thing. It's like this tiny little, like it's like a blow dart, except it's a crossbow that they have in their hands. Tiny little thing. And there's so many times that drows are like floating up to attack and they're getting taken out with these darts. And then they're just like hanging limp in the air until Whoa. their spell goes out before they plummet to the ground. <laughs> wow, what a cool way to play with that whole system. I know. Uh, fun. Uh, here's some trivia, or not trivia, but uh, can you tell me which one is the one that's on the ceiling or the ground? Stalagmites or stalactites? I think stalagmites are on the ground and stalactites are on the ceiling. Correct. Is that right? Hey. Yeah, because stalactites hang tight to the ceiling. Oh well, that's okay. how I always remember. <laughs> I think I, I my association was that stalagmite has an M in it, which is really close to an N, which is really close to the word ground, or uh, ground has the word N in it. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh wow, more complicated, that's, but whatever, I know, right? Uh, yeah, whatever it takes to remember, you know. So this is a really big talking point, and this is what I want. This is the main thrust of what I want this whole conversation to be around, because we could go on about this for hours, thrust hours Perry. and hours and hours. Um. Where do you think Drist's morals come from? I found myself wondering that for most of the book, like obviously all the other drow are totally fine with this situation for the most part, except for Zachnafane and Driss. And I'm tempted to think that it was all Zachnafane's doing, but Driss was showing signs of being uncomfortable with this whole situation before he really started training heavily with Zach. So I don't, I don't think it's all Zach's influence, but Zach did have a lot to do with his growth as a whole definitely um, shaping like, him yeah driss is like he starts out like not cool with this whole situation or at least questioning it to, to more of a degree than the other drows are what do you what do you think's up with that i don't really know um i mean obviously i think it's a little bit of like genetically passed on to him from zach Nafine, but besides that he's just kind of the one drow who was born with a conscience that's so I odd to me. Have something to do with the fact that he was going to be sacrificed, but then didn't. So maybe Loth didn't like instill him with the maybe. evil. I don't know. Though. Like he was I already have... gonna die or something, so it yeah. didn't quite. Which is so cool. That's, that's, that is cool, but it's like it's so probably not. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, he's also cool, the only like... drow with lavender eyes, not red. Well, I think that um, something that both of us need to. Um, make clear in this episode and to our listeners uh, for anybody for anybody that's read a lot of these books I know that you've read quite a few of them but mm -hmm. we haven't read every single Dritz book and I know no. that things start to get clearer I think that in maybe I think it's Legacy of the Drow which I don't know if you've read those ones oh, but, yeah. um, so that that all has to do with Loth the Spider Queen apparently yes. and I really want to read those they're very good can I tell you like kind of the premise of them no, because I want to. Okay, I want to okay, do it. I want to. I want to. I want to read. Well, I'm gonna skip over the cleric quintet because apparently that's all. A oh, that's totally, not even about wrist. I don't. Yeah, think. right. I, I've never I think, even read those. 
Um, so I think that it's like this one, and then Icewind Dale, and then I think Legacy there's of the Drow. Legacy of the Drow, and then the Hunter's Blade trilogy. And I think there's another one. There's a bunch. Oh, there's like there's 38. Like six or seven more yeah, trilogies. Okay. I think there's 33. I could be wrong on that. But yeah, anything that we're saying on here that is, you know, confirmed in like book 31 or something like <laughs> i don't know i'm sorry like we <laughs> we will we will get to more of these obviously but see uh, what i'm wondering is salvatore's headspace going in i really hope we can get him on to the podcast me too That'd be so me cool. too but um if he doesn't come Check on, your inbox then, right seriously um but i'm wondering if he set out with this character like a like a D role you know what i mean it's just like this is how he is you can write a lot of backstory but you have to have some kind of like starting point and it, maybe there just isn't much of an explanation for why because you know, it brings the whole like nature versus nurture like, conversation right. into all of this you know it's like driss was obviously raised in this society but from the get-go he's he's uncomfortable with it and the question that i had is like are the other drow uncomfortable to a certain extent for a little while and it's just stamped out of them or are they born feeling like this are they born being this ruthless and terrible to each other and obviously i mean there, salvatore shows multiple times that this race of elves are absolutely cool with just the wholesale slaughter of each other and a bunch of other races too they in fact, delight they in it applaud it yeah, yeah they, they delight in it yeah very, they're very well so said. Yeah. so fine with it um and i think that that more than anything is what Driss has a problem with. I don't I, like there's that scene where they see another house kind of go after another house and it, it's kind of botched and they just do kind of a sloppy job of it. And Driss is kind of watching with his family and his whole family is just like, this is amazing. Like popcorn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he is like, this is disgusting. And that's kind of part of his whole rise to morality right. in the face of all this. But I don't think that he's got as much of a problem with the drow you know hurting each other as much as he does with them hurting other races like when he goes up to the surface world and sees that whole mess that's really the turning point of this entire book right um, i i do have another question here though oh wait, no go ahead i want you to the, yeah. yeah the drought they don't i mean they don't consider themselves evil per se they just think that's kind of the way that people should live or at least the drow should live um as they think that's like the best way to gain dominance which is a thing that's exalted in their culture and you know drist is very much his his nature unlike pretty much every other drow and i i am of the opinion that most drow children don't really struggle with this this battle of morality that Drist does uh i think they're just kind of like their nature is also supported by their nurture whereas Drist's nature is kind of in conflict with his nurture and you know i'm sure they're other exceptions like Zachnafine, but I think it's very difficult, as you know, evidenced by Dritz's life and his struggles, that to fight that nature not only is is very difficult on a personal level and with just like this constant brainwashing of like other races are evil and terrible, and also, you know, the whole culture is dedicated to Lolth the Spider Queen. And so yeah. If you know Dritz acts a few times, actually take them out of favor of the Spider Queen and the priests. Uh, it's a very like big thing to have a priest and then a high priestess of uh, the Spider Queen in your house. Their power is directly related to how um, in favor that family and them specifically are with the Spider Queen. So like your ability to take over another house may or may not like. There's times where like some. Uh, house is attacking another house all of a sudden their spells stop working 
because Loth is just yeah. like, mm, sorry, you know, it's like uh, they're very intimate, almost like a first name, hey, what's up basis with their god. Goddess. See, it's really interesting because there's not one moment in this entire book, and maybe this will crop up later, but there's not one moment in this entire book where Drist is struggling with that ruthlessness or with that bloodthirst or bloodlust, you know, which I thought was really, it's kind of telling, right? And in, in my pure. intro to this, like the notes that I had written, I remember um, while I was reading it, I made this note in my phone where I said, you know, at the beginning of this episode, I said, I love just seeing a, a, a good guy be a good guy. And then the other half of that was, and bad guys be bad guys. But then I kept reading and I did a little more research and I was like, wait a minute here, though. I don't know if the drow are like inherently evil because there is that part. And it's one of my favorite parts in the book is, and it was touched on so lightly, but when when Dritz is in school, like in the academy um, at Melee Magthier, I think they're brainwashing them. They're basically yes. showing them and telling them all about how terrible the surface dwellers are, how terrible the surface elves right. are. The reason and we don't even get to go up to the surface is because the elves are ruthless and they kicked us out. And it's interesting because I, I'm that's why I was I'm wondering like if Dritz isn't really struggling with that kind of like weird bloodlust that no. seems to have overtaken. Maybe a lot of the other ones are struggling with the morality that Dritz has in kind of like this silent way where it's just this thing that's not really talked about. Maybe I'm reading like a little bit like way too much into it, but I just I don't think I'm not going to believe that the drow are absolutely inherently evil because there are these parts about the brainwashing and how closely, like you said, connected they are to this whoever this fucking spider queen is <laughs> like like obviously it's a she is a very big deal and it seems like she's been around for a really long time like since the drow went underground like thousands of years ago mm -hmm. so this is the spider queen is like this whole i thought the spider queen was just another drow i thought matron malice was the spider queen for a second i was like a little confused oh. in the beginning because i kind of like pictured matron malice like as a spider for the first like 20 pages that i was reading this and i was like wait a minute no, it's just a drow like everybody else like i don't know what that's all about but yeah, yeah. No, she's she's an actual goddess uh and she lives in okay. the pantheon there's like i think nine or 12 different levels of like um existence you know like yeah. planes and i think she lives on the one of the one of the lower planes of the den where the denizens of the dark hold which is like a different um reality like an alternate dimension sort of thing you know that occasionally they'll bust portals open into and yeah i know they're kind of doing rituals and just calling people like like denizens of the lower planes up just mm -hmm. willy-nilly you know? is there any you don't see yeah you don't see loth in this book at all there's no. like occasionally in the books there's like a um you know it'll like go to the perspective of like a demon in one of the lower planes who's like being called to a god or something to do something yeah. for them which is kind of cool that happens in the in the prologue to um the crystal shard with air right yeah it's sitting on his throne of slime <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's using like he has like creatures he's using like a footrest or something he's just such an <laughs> evil person i mean i think drow i mean at least in like the DD world drow are an evil culture they're an evil race uh, i think in fact there's even a limit for you there's this thing called alignment in dungeons and dragons which is basically your uh your your morality your propensity towards good or evil and it goes from like lawful good to neutral good chaotic good lawful neutral neutral chaotic neutral then lawful evil neutral evil and chaotic evil and i think the highest the drow can be are chaotic neutral interesting which is Except like the for middle, like you, 
except for Drist, who is obviously probably lawful good, the highest. I would, you- yeah, I would call him lawful good, and almost to the almost to a point of like Superman level. Like it's almost unbelievable, and uh, but not quite though. There's something. Right. I would like to see in later books him show some some more complicated emotions. I think that that's probably one of the only things about this book where Driss is a very endearing character, except I feel like he's kind of binary in this book where yes. he's he's either he's either interested and intrigued in something and focused or he's very bummed out about it and th- obviously that is a that is a consequence of the situation he's in i'm not like right. blaming him for it i'm not blaming salvatore for it but like the character of dritz in this particular book is not even close to as interesting in my opinion as the character in the icewind dale trilogy you know we've mentioned in past podcasts how like kind of an annoying trait is kind of that by like he's just too good and it's like this really walks that line there's sometimes you're like come on man like but like you could solve a few situations by just literally ending everybody in the room. Right. You know? and, and he could do it too. Yeah, it's like the Batman situation where it's like, dude, just yeah. kill him. Oh my God. Right. Just like, use yeah. a gun. You know? <laughs> he won't. Uh, there, there is a persona that develops in some of the later books, and this isn't giving anything away. Uh, what do they call it? It's Drist's like his animal thing, or but he he develops this um so like a persona. berserker thing. Um, it's more of like a feral sense, and he develops it when he he's living. Uh, I, I won't I won't say how he or when he develops it, but he develops this. He is kind of forced by circumstance to develop this animal feral nature, mm-hmm. where he's just he just acts. He does. He is an animal, and he really battles with it later on in life. You haven't gotten to the point where he has forced to develop it yet, um, but later on in his life, he can kind of like drop into this just animal killer and occasionally it gets the best of him and he does things that he really regrets later in that mode because he just like like everything around him is just a, a thing to for him to slay while it aids him and he becomes a even better fight he gets like a spidey sense almost you know oh, cool uh, which How could is really you make cool. him cooler? Yeah, it's it's radical when he does get into this like animal phase, but he also can do things that he is not proud of later on, and so he gets a little bit more dynamic. Uh, but he's always a really good guy. <laughs> you know what? I'm a- I'm fine with that. Yeah. Like I said at the top of this episode, I love a good guy. That's a good guy. That's that's totally cool. Um, but you can still push the the complexity line a little bit and have him be unambiguous too. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. I have a question about Guinevar. Um, it's Gwen really cool. Maria. It's cool to see um, how that that beautiful relationship started. I was a little bit let down with the way that it started, though. It was how so? Well, not really let down, but just more like he just appeals to this spectral cat. He's just like, "Come on, you're good, just like me." And the cat's just like, "I totally am," you know. And it's it's, it's well, just... it's like they're both they're both uh, in this society, kind of being used for evil purposes against their will. And so they kind of find like a brother brotherhood within that. Um, in fact, though, I think brotherhood is probably the wrong term because I think Winifred yeah. is a female. Yeah, it's a sibling a sibling nature. A sibling, yeah, they become uh, soul connected, connected via soul, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the things that leads to this this binding, this this bond that they develop is they're both kind of in this awful place, and yet they both want to being controlled, so be to speak. Good. 
Yeah, yeah you can be Gwen your Hovar own master. Gwen Hovar is a creature from one of the lower plane, or no, no, she's one of the the, the astral plane. I think is where Gwen Hovar is from. Yeah, um, I mean, there is that kind of theme of of you know freedom, becoming your own master. Uh, yeah, so I think choosing that they, your own they seem to yeah they they connect quite a bit on that. Um, I I have, I have another note here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What? Okay, how do I put this? The I have I have really split feelings on the whole storyline of Alton Devere and Massage and the, the all, or all, of, all of that all yeah, of that yeah. okay so I think that is it, it needed to be there because if it was just dritzed it would have been a lot of dritzed it would have been a like it would have been like two hundred solid pages <laughs> of dritzed either kicking everyone's ass or literally wishing he was dead <laughs> so there's and sometimes at the same time wishing right. like having both of those feelings but i hate myself <laughs> it's just totally wrecking everybody but um so i think that it works it's in it, it it expands a lot on the nature of menzo baranzan uh you get to see some more conniving some more plotting uh alton devere's motivations are very very clear very understandable massage is like the perfect amount of just like the worst you know just the um, worst yeah like you never really know what he's gonna do i really liked the massage character a lot but all of that being said it kind of went out with a whimper like it was kind of just like driss just kills them both and you're like it, oh, okay it, yeah like he was he would have he had just super easy barely an inconvenience just there it is you know yeah could have brought the whole house down could have been this huge thing that they've got like lording over them for but uh, yeah maybe we'll see some some kind of consequences to that in the second book um but it just felt very like all right we got to tie this up Driss is just going to go back with guinevar and kill both of them um and that's fine i'm glad they're both dead because they're terrible I was nice. I didn't really care that much about Alton. I felt kind of bad for Alton Devere, honestly. He had to like mess up his whole face and everything, and it was just I know, he had a, dude. Acid he had a face. Bad, yeah, it was just bad all around for him. Um, and his motivations were very clear. And I was really excited to just see Massage just get taken out finally because he mm -hmm. was just the worst. And it was cool how in the school, uh, Massage was like training Dritz. He was getting like really close to him. Not really close, but they were in very close proximity for a while. Right. And then, so tell me about your thoughts about that fight, uh, in the in the the competition at the end of like the melee mag there that happens every four years or whatever, and they all are basically put into a big cavern, all the students, and they're just kind of released to like fight each other. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Like, it was like Kolnaz or Kelthaz or something like yeah, that. Kizna, uh, Kizna, Kiz something, something yeah. like. But some a drow. It teams up with Dritz and is basically like, let's go together, and then at the very end, we'll just have it out and may the best drow win. It's gonna be right. great. And then Dritz is like, super down. Sounds great. Let's go. I would love a teammate. And then the guy just like <laughs> alone be betrays him. He betrays him like as the first chance he gets. Um, yeah. And then Dritz, you know, is like he's, hurt. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's he shows like them like in their in their in their, their big bunkhouse or whatever, and they're like hand signaling to each other, which rises to a a full fledged argument like vocally. But he's just Driss is basically just like, what the hell, man? And you literally other... stabbed me in the back. <laughs> but it was interesting because the other elf, the, there was so much like in incredulity almost. Like, are you serious? Like, How we are you all this do this. We all do this. This is our thing. This is what our culture is based on. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. It's what their entire culture is based on. But it begs the question, like, what are the drow really getting out of all of this, though? You know, like, what? Power. 
but what but but not that much obviously and when once you have just a tiny little bit of it it's being taken away and coveted by everybody else and it's like what what is one house getting that another house isn't getting besides the favor of Loth to not be Back. taken out by another house. That's the, the favor worst. Of Loth. And, the, and the oh. more favor of Loth you have, the more power that you have. Like the Beneers are the number one ruling house, have been for hundreds of years. Their compound is surrounded by this magical fence that's made out of this sticky spiderweb substance that you can't climb or else you'll be stuck to it forever. Only the Beneers know the word that can release you from it. it. You can't slice through it. You know, they've been gifted all of these things and magical power, you know, with a snap of their fingers they can do crazy magic it's it's all power based you know i mean even aside from how quote unquote terrible all the drow are i feel like as dritz if i was in dritz position i would want to get out of there just from the sheer redundancy of all of it you know just yeah, just from hiring yeah like just like you're never in a safe place and when you are you're not going to be for very long and it's just that sounds terrible even like a member of the opposite sex who's trying to lure you and seduce you into something, there's a good chance that that person will try to slit your throat during the process for some reason. Yeah, speaking of uh, that, um, <laughs> that whole ritual, oh where, boy, that was odd. That was really right? weird. That was it like, gets, like some pretty foul. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was like, I thought this was popcorn fantasy. What's going on here? All this of a sudden, getting his crazy. sister's like. This, let's make love under yeah. the light of the spider it's like this drow orgy basically is yeah their, that's basically what it ceremony. was it was this weird blood orgy that was yeah. no i don't know if it was a blood orgy but it was <laughs> Might as well probably, have been. probably gonna end up that way yeah um and i really like what salvatore did with the spiders like the imagery of spiders and having it be a matriarchal society it was really cool it's just it all made sense you know spiders are really awful to, yeah, the, really to the men that they sleep with. Yes, they usually kill them and <laughs> they eat, them, right? eat them. And even like the most powerful men, like the biggest mages and stuff, they're still no match for Not a priestess that's in the high favor, that's in the favor of the spider queen. Uh, they are very powerful. I couldn't get the image of spiders out of my head the entire time. Oh, I, I was almost like picturing all of the drow as spiders. Just because of the imagery that Salvatore kept invoking. Oh, he, mm -hmm. he would not let that go. They're spiders. Like they're you... or they're living in a spider situation. Whatever. Oh yeah, and like all the art, you know, the city is like covered in art as well with fairy fire, like crawling up over everything. It's just a very gorgeous city, but in a very evil way. Do you go inside the priestess temple at all in this book? I don't remember because there's just um... spiders everywhere in there, and it's death if you like step on one and kill one. So there's times when that. like mages have to go visit a priestess, and they're like trying to brush the spiders off of them very carefully because if they accidentally kill one, like they'll just be killed. <sighs> yeah, I don't remember. That's that. my hell. Oh yeah, you don't like spiders? <laughs> no, dude. And they're all sizes. Just <laughs> man, I have. Sp I live in a basement, and I've got like I, I feel like Harry Potter down here. I got like spider friends down here. Like man. I just if they're on the wall, I I don't even mess with them. Like I just like if they're on me, that right. that we got an issue. You know, but if it's just uh, there's up, oh, yeah, there's one in the corner, and right I can see it right now. He's in the corner. He's just I, a little spider guy. I try, but man, there's just something about him that just rubs me the wrong way. They're just like chalk uh, fingernails on a chalkboard to me. They're so important. Oh, for sure. But like, I just they just terrify me. He's just like my buddy up here, uh, just keeping all the little bugs out of my room. You know, like he gets to eat. I don't have little bugs in my room. Yeah, like, I mean, they're, they're good. I acknowledge their like awesomeness, but. <laughs> Man, unless, they just scare me. Unless he is a being, he's a denizen 
from one of the lower planes. Dude. And he's got a crew of drow worshiping. along. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the whips that the priestesses use? I thought it was a nice touch that Brisa had. It seems like a almost like a station. Th- everything's so about station. It's all but, hierarchy. Yeah, it's all hierarchical. But um, it seemed like Brisa is the strongest of the, the sisters. And she has the most snakeheads on her whip. Mm-hmm. I caught like that was. I think once you get to be a high priestess, then you get awarded like a a, a like a, a cat of nine headed. tails, except yeah. it's a snake of nine tails because they're all like for everyone who hasn't read the books, it's like you get a snake handle and then there's like a living snake at the end of it, and so they're not like whipping, they're like whipping and biting with these like snake whips. <laughs> How that doesn't kill the snake, I have no idea. And Salvatore's <laughs> imagination is um, it's inspiring. I mean, I know that that sounds corny, but it's like it's very inspiring. Um, just the amount of fun that he has with his writing. And, totally. You know, I've seen some critiques of his writing where people say that the prose isn't very good, but just you can take that and get out of here with it. I don't really totally. care about that. I mean, like, it is a little clunky sometimes. Um, I would say the only parts that I thought were a little bit, that, that were dragging just a little bit, he, he does have a tendency to info dump descriptions, like a little bit. Yeah. Like, a little bit. Like when he was describing Menzo Berenzon, in the beginning of the book, it's just like, damn, dude, this is like five pages of right. But, like, let's get to some story. He, but he, he describes really, a little. Go ahead. He doesn't really do it like all the time, though. It's just like sometimes when he does do it, it's just like, man, we could probably move on. Like we could probably right. move on just a little bit, but it's fine. It's not a big deal. Much like that kind of goes hand in hand with my other like. If there's anything that I would say that's a little bit like okay about him is that when he's doing a thing, he's doing a thing, and then also he gets a little. Like one-sided sometimes, like this person is that thing and they will forever be that thing. And like, but, I don't know, it's it's very simple. It, it makes for an easy read where you're not like confused about much. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even call that necessarily a bad thing, but um, it does lead into my, my one of my uh, last questions here, which is I want to ask, do you think that the Drow Society, and this is with us both not having read up to book 38 or whatever, but do you mm-hmm. think that the Drow Society is beyond redemption i mean that is a that is a theme in these books for sure especially in some of the later ones um no no i don't no i don't i think that they've got a vast um work ahead of them should they try even to get on the side of redemption and not only that but they also the things that have power from them, like the gods get power by sacrifice and worship. Right. And, you know, Loth's main source of power and revenance is from the drow. So there's some very powerful beings in this world, gods, who are going to work very hard to maintain that situation. So no, just because I like to subscribe to the like no one is beyond and like obviously Dritzt did, you know, if Dritzt can, he's one of many, but you know, the other ones could. Um no, but man, with is it ever gonna happen? Like probably not. <laughs> All right. So to expand on that just a little but bit philosophically, more philosophically, yes. Right, yeah. But to expand on that a little bit more with all the reasons that you just laid out for the reasons why they are the way they are, or at least the reasons why they'll probably never progress past where they are, would you consider the society to be victims of a sort? No. Interesting. No, I think they have You think I they've mean, done too much bad to merit 
that I, I, I just think a, they've chosen their choice. I think that they've, you know, I mean, but you have can say, they though? That's a, well, they're set up very much on the negative. I'm not saying like, no, they all chose it. It's their fault. Like, mm, I'll give them a big, big pass and that like they grew up in the worst of the worst and like it would be very difficult to be anything other than than who they are but yeah um i subscribe to the like free will and like that does not excuse your actions well especially when those actions are like essentially genocide you know i mean like yeah uh, yeah i mean killing women and children and the helpless and innocent it's pretty yeah i'm I'm gonna go ahead and uh yeah probably it it opens up a lot it opens up a lot of you know because i almost do want to say that the drow are because when you throw in the fact that you know like you just said there is a whole hierarchy a whole pantheon almost that is kind of set to keeping them the way that they are mm-hmm. that's interesting like that and if you decide to go good that may make your house fall out of that uh, favor which could lead to the actual destruction of every member of your family so like every card in the world is stacked against them i mean so like it's ah, pretty big to like, me but at the same time the same i don't time, like to like, remove personal responsibility yeah. of like that's on you but you should have murdered like i wonder innocent. if there's some sort of like gap Oh, uh, that or you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I wonder if there's like some threshold they could come to where it's like they don't have to murder like every single other being they ever come across, you know, right. uh, just for fun, you know. Yeah, I mean? But I'm not, not just I, the fact that ep- they murder them; they like laugh about it, right? I know. And this episode isn't like I'm not trying to like rehabilitate the Drow society, or anything, <laughs> but it's just it it makes me wonder like where does the buck stop? You know what I mean? When you have right. this, when you have this being, this like you know all powerful source of all of everything their whole way of existing um it's like how much of the responsibility do you lay on the society when like there's literally a god basically controlling it and it's i think i need to read more about it to really start developing an opinion because from from where i'm at um it seems like the drow are kind of as a society kind of victims in this whole situation but i think that like i need more information obviously but it's interesting I mean, like, effectively, they're victims, but in like philosophically, (laughs) they still have freedom of choice. They still should choose to do what's right, though. And Driss does. They have been. And Driss does. Yeah, they have been. Did Driss just get a good role, though? You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's that's a really good right word. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very. It's very apropos. It's very apropos. In fact, did you know that this whole Forgotten Realms world was actually designed by a gentleman named Ed Greenwood in 1967 for D&D? Uh, I who I've never actually yeah. read any of his books, but I, I There's really a whole, like... like Faerun, is that the place, what it's called? The, the Faerun, overworld? Yeah, uh-huh. Faerun? Uh, yeah. There's like a lot more books in Forgotten oh, Realms. Yeah. Than just, I, re- I went on a whole fucking terror oh, it goes deep. through these and i kind of wish i know it's not like popular now or like what's really cool now is to create your own world your own world building have your own magic system but i really like the idea of setting of just having this open realm this already pre-existing world yeah. that you can build upon the lore in. it's just like it's kind of like marvel you know it's like really nice and half of the work is done for you and i think yeah. it saves a lot of time to focus on characters and growth and relationship as opposed to like, well, when this metal is mixed with that and consumed by this person in this situation, they can burn that and then make this magic. And it's like, I don't know. It just like removes a lot of brain power and you can focus on different things. And I wish there was more of that and more of yeah. those being just worlds that we could 
inject characters into. Yeah, no, there's a sort of um, like fellowship, it seems like, between like Ed Greenwood and R.A. Salvatore and, and a few of the other writers that were contributing to Forgotten Realms. And I mean, you don't really see that anymore. I mean, everybody's kind of no. localized. Like Brandon Sanderson's got Cosmere, but nobody's writing Cosmere books. It's right. all Brandon Sanderson. Um, and and it adds to like this depth and lore, right? You hear of like Elminster, this mage, and it's like, who is he? Well, he's another author is like main character who was a really yeah. powerful mage back in the day. And it kind of adds this like... Just kind of how um, uh, Steven Erickson does for Malazan. It has this depth. Yeah, and, like Ian Esselmont helps out with yeah. those. So they're kind of doing it, but there's nobody else that's contributing to Malazan. Um, but I don't know if anybody else could. It's not the same. Oh, man, not, that would not be the world I'd choose. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'd want to write some Cosmere stuff, even though that stuff is really complicated. But maybe if Brandon uh, gave me his assistant who does all the lore stuff. Uh, Dude, I've forgotten Realms easy. It Up. Uh, is I wonder what the rights are for that. Can anyone just like hop in? I No, they have to... See that's what they did with Salvatore is they had so like the I think Morgane had already been written there were there were a couple series that had already been written in like the late 80s and then they hit uh, R.A. Salvatore up I think I think this is where how how it went and I think if we you're get right. if we get uh Rob Bob if we get Bob in here Bob uh, if we can get Bob in here maybe he can explain <laughs> it a little bit better but I'm pretty sure that they had basically like um like commissioned him to write oh, wow. something and then he wrote um something that i don't i think he wrote something that wasn't the crystal shard i think he wrote the cleric quintet i can't remember we have to it doesn't matter it's but anyway um it is really interesting that you bring that up and i've never seen that before with anybody else really other than forgotten realms i'm like trying to think if like any if there's like this big shared like written universe yeah that like anyone else is sharing i yeah think of one you know like narnia is like narnia is that's c.s lewis's there's yeah, like there's obviously with... huge world Star Wars. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, actually, no, the uh, like Legends and the new canon and stuff, the extended universe. That's all. That's kind of like Forgotten Realms. Now that you mention it, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a good example. Hey, look at us. Yeah, yeah, Star Wars and Star Trek, of course. But like, yeah, I, I wish there was more of that. Like I said, it kind of just has this. Once you've read a few books in there, and like obviously every book written in that world does a little bit of world building to let the reader know, like if this is your first time in the Forgotten Realms, this is what's up. But like way less than I feel is nest than most books would need to, you know? Okay. So I have a few questions for you. One, I want to know what was your favorite scene of this? What was your favorite action scene of this book? My favorite action scene? Probably. Well, yeah. Probably the part with the, the driders. Yeah. Uh, whatever the hell those things were. That was weird. And I really, and I don't have know. Have you if like Googled an image of those? Those are great. No, looking. should I? Oh my God. No, definitely. You okay, should give me a second. Oh no. <laughs> I'm like scared to look. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Ah, oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that scene was really cool because uh, I mean, obviously, I know nothing bad, no, nothing that bad is going to happen to Dritz. Um, but it was just really, really well blocked. It was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I it, it took me by surprise. I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of right there with Dritz, just not really understanding. I was like, where the fuck are we? Like, this is really weird. What the hell? Right. What is that? And then, like, another one comes up, and it's just, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, it was. And then, he, I mean, he would have probably died if Matron Malice hadn't come in and, and dealt with it. Uh, right. So, yeah, that was probably, like, one of the high point fights. Um, 
like the really short little fight between him and Zach Nefane was pretty emotional, like towards mm-hmm. the end. Um, and it's a bummer. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the last time Dritz sees the Zach Nefane, isn't it? Um, I mean, they um, kind of make up, um, but it's before it's Zach Nefane gets um, sacrificed to Loth. Sacrificed, yeah. One of the things that we missed over, which was a huge part when we were talking about this nature and nurture, like, is it there? Are they victims? Do they have choice? That sort of thing. The character of Vierna, his sister, is a really interesting one because she has a lot of compassion towards him at the beginning. And then you can see she kind of commits to the dark side, so to speak. Right. Um, tell me Even about. Even though she's Zachnafane's daughter as well, she's the closest yeah. relative. Yeah, so yeah. kind of tell me about your thoughts about her like raising Dritzt and her choosing to to be bad or good or what do you think um what's in her future? Um I don't know. And this might lead into me talking about like what I think is going to happen over the next book or two. Um Yeah, and that's my final question sure, for you. Sure. Yeah, I'll just kind of combine those. I mean, I think that Dritzt right now at the end I haven't started Exile yet, but he's he scurries off, he skitters off into the yeah. underdark. Well said. Um I don't think he's done with Menzo Berenzan yet. I don't think he's quite ready to go to the surface world. Um, I don't know what would bring him back. I'm kind of curious. I don't I don't even know if he's going to go back. It just makes sense that he would. I mean, unless there's something going on with him in the under in the underdark and he's just it's just another part of like his it just seems weird to set up all of those characters and right. all of those relationships and only have them be in like one book. It seems like there's some kind of like unresolved stuff in that story. So I think he's going to go back to Men- Menzo Berenzan. But the book is called Exile too. Though. I don't know. Anyway. Um, if you think really hard about Dritz's motivations, like what would cause him to return to Menzo Berenzan, you might get close to some of the things that may or may not happen. And the story of like, you know, Drist is forever haunted by his past, not only in his brain and like this whole nature versus nurture, his his instinctually like who he wants to be and who he thinks he was born as, um, but also by the literal people of his past, the dark elves right, of his past, yeah. without giving away anything there. They're all I don't around. I don't think he's done yet. <laughs> so yeah, I think that if he did go back to Menzo Berenzan, um I think he's yeah. Uh Vierna, I think, might come around. Um, it's his closest relative. I would love to see uh, Dinan and Matron Malice taken out. That'd be really great. And I'd like to see more of the Underdark. Um, we did yeah. get a glimpse into... There was like that race of... I think there were gnomes. This and, first um, Nebly. Yeah. <laughs> You're so on top. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, so like the, like the gnome society. And um, that was kind of a really good glimpse into like, hey, you know, these drow kind of think everybody is just you know, way beneath them. But there's right. a whole other societies living down here in the Underdark. They also mention other drow cities. Yeah, totally. Um, it'd be interesting if he goes to another one. Maybe they're different. Are, are the other drow cities also, like, involved with Loth? Or is it is that just a Menzo Berenzan thing? I don't say anything one way or the other because it yeah, might totally. give away some things in the story. But um, maybe. You. <laughs> you're well, too smart i can't give you little details or else well, i appreciate stuff. that yeah oh man yeah i think that's gonna wrap it up here for us today on book reviews kill everybody thank you so much for listening to this oh god so much fun talking about these books because like this is just right up mine and chad's alley we could talk about this kind of stuff forever and while this book you know it seems simple on the surface uh when you get down into the underdark Things start to get a lot more complicated oh, and nothing uh, simple in the underdark <laughs> what a cool setting for a story I know. I love yeah. the Underdark. So much it's, different. It's yeah. just like a setting that around every corner there can be 
you know, a cave full of glowing crystals or yeah. magical this or a, a mushroom society or pools of lava. There's just so many cool things that you wouldn't normally come across on a surface setting. And I just, I really love the underdark. And I think it kind of adds to the the mystique of the books. And one of the reasons why I love them so much. Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, really conventional tropes here with fantasy. I yes. mean, like the, the, the kid raised in a society he'd rather not be in is not new, you know, new. at all. Um, the, the Mary Stu, like better than everybody at everything thing. <laughs> uh, usually I get kind of sick of it, but for some reason with Dritz, I think it's really cool. Uh, but the, the setting does a lot of heavy lifting here. Um, and even with Icewind Dale, I mean, 10 towns, the, like this, this group of 10 communities that are all like right next to each other that kind of band together, but they've also kind of got their inner strife going on. And it's like in the, this terribly like inhospitable place and there's like barbarians and everything. And it's, it's like ice trolls and ice dragons and shit. Like Salvatore is very, very good at letting the, the setting do a lot of the work, you know? And, and, and not only that, but he takes it one step farther by like matron malice. I wonder if that character is good or bad. You know, it's like naming your character Darth Vader literally translated to dark bad. You know, it's like, it's like there's just, he does a very good job of painting a picture and using all of the elements of that picture to lead you in the direction of the, the emotional feel that that setting has. And uh, it's just done very well, well done. Sometimes it's not subtle at all, but it still adds. Well, Bob, Mr. Salvatore, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. We'd love to have you please on here. Please answer my uh, email. Yeah, please answer Chad's email. And uh, everybody that's listening, thank you so much for being here for this recap. Uh, join us in a week or so for our recap and discussion of book two in the Dark Elf trilogy. It is called Exile. If you'd like to read along with me and I guess Chad, Chad's already read this like five times, but Chad's here in spirit. Very, very much so. Um, but yeah, uh, everybody, hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody. 